one of the things that gives you joy as a teacher is just seeing the impact that you could have, even in a small way, on, on, on a student who sometimes didn't even know that they were worth anything. Hi, I'm Jessica. And I'm Girish. And this is the Destiny Benders podcast, where we explore the impact of international education on the lives of students and professionals from across the globe. It's a podcast for international educators, by international educators, and about international educators. And in each episode, we'll be meeting with Destiny Benders of our industry. We'll look beyond the job title and really get to know the people whose mission it is to change lives and bend destinies. Our guests today are Sally and Jonathan Andwadi, the power couple at St. Andrew's Turi in Kenya. Sally, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Gish. It's so lovely to be here. We are so honored. Jessica, thank you so much. We're really excited to have you both. I can't wait to hear your story. (laughs) Well, let's get started right there. Can you please just share with us your journey so far? Uh, I know you've been at St. Andrew's for 14 years, uh, but we'd love to hear where you got started, uh, how you got to where you are. Hmm. Shall I go first, Jonathan? (laughs) This is an interesting journey because um, I came to St. Andrews in 2008. And at that time, Jonathan was still working in a school in Nairobi. Now, St. Andrews is about four hours away from Nairobi. And we had decided we were done with the, you know, monotonous back and forth traffic of Nairobi. And we needed something that was different. We needed a new challenge. We just, um, our son, we decided we wanted him to grow up in a new environment. So I came out here and Jonathan followed me a year later. Yes, it's um and, and it's it's really interesting. Sally and I went to the same university. We went, we both went to Kenyatta University in, in Nairobi. And the funny thing is that we never met at university. And so we we knew all the same people. We had mutual friends, but for some reason she she didn't take uh, very much interest in in basketball. I was into basketball. She said she didn't have time for sweaty basketballers. Um, she was busy being a model, so she used to do um, fashion shows um, at, at the, the big uh, university events. And so we never really met. And we we met, uh, I think, almost ten or twelve years after our respective graduations. And that was where I was working as um, a deputy um, head for um, uh, a school in Nairobi called Brayside, where I had been working for about 10 years. So Sally came in and she she won my heart immediately. Now, how she did it was she pretended that she was coming in. (laughs) She was coming in to, to, to ask for advice about how to you know, go about the reporting system and all those things that teachers do. And one thing led to another and we started dating and, you know, a, a few uh, short years later, here we are, married, happily married with uh, two children. Nice, Sally. Very nice. <laughs> well, a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. <laughs> Very true. Very true. How did you get both of you interested in education or into the counseling world? Like what led you into that? 
So when I came to St. Andrews, you know, the, the classes, the year groups ended at year 11. So they did not have a college when I came in in 2008. And um, when I came in, obviously, I, I, I felt there was a niche, there was a need. I was looking at the year 11s, especially who we were, you know, putting out into the world to go to colleges in other places, especially the UK. And I, they, they didn't have a knowledge of what they were going to do with their education, you know. And I asked, I approached my then head, Mr. Palmer, and I owe him a lot. He was my, you know, my mentor. And I said, look, I think we need to have a careers department. Um, at that time, I've been employed as a teacher of English. That's that's what I'm doing. That's my core duty. And he says, okay, well, look, Sally, if you're thinking we can create this, go ahead, run with it give me you know a curriculum and we'll look at it and like oh my goodness I didn't I didn't think you're going to pick me I thought you know you're going to pick somebody else and I went in and called Jonathan who was still working in Nairobi and said I've been asked to do this how do we do this I guess from then on it was just research and working and creating something but it's just the need for me, uh, the need that I saw that was lacking, that the, the need for students to be empowered before they were launched into, into college. And then uh, a few years later, 2010, college came up. So we created our college in Sanders College. And I had a new role. I was now careers advisor in this little thing that I had created. And Jonathan had come in and we we just started we with our first cohort we just threw ourselves into it and just started my 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 sort of story is a is a much longer one than sally's uh, my journey towards getting involved in international education i can actually move it way back into the 1970s um, my father was working for the kenyan mission at the united nations in new york while uh, my parents were in the united states um as an accident of history, I happened to be born in New York. At that time, my mother was uh, a nurse, but she was training to become a dietitian. And so actually I could say that, um, you know, part of uh, my inquisitiveness about international education came from the fact that my dad, uh, when he was alive, would always drop names of, you know, universities that he had heard of. And he'd always be saying, one day you might go to this place or that place. Um, for some reason, he liked Canadian universities and he was always talking about McGill and Dalhousie. And um, many years later, I got to visit McGill, which is one of, you know, the highlights of my life so far. And um, my mom actually was a, an international student. So she was working as a nurse. She was, she was working with elderly people and studying at the same time. So by the time my parents were coming back home to Kenya, my dad uh, went back to his civil service job, but my mom came back as a qualified dietitian. And so she, she now um, started working with the catering department at um, hospitals in, in Nairobi, and she made a very good career out of it. But that just got me interested in this whole thing about international education because my, 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 my mother had actually lived through that. Fast forward uh, many years later when I just joined high school and I got interested in basketball and obviously the United States basketball, I got to, and I became curious about especially college basketball in the United States. And that was a bit of like a, an introduction into different names of different universities and what it meant you know, March Madness and, and all of that thing. And by that time, we didn't have 
you know, um, cable television or anything like that. And so we'd be reading Sports Illustrated. And so a lot of my understanding about universities and things around the world was through the sports pages of, of magazines like that. And so when I became a teacher, I, I, I still had an interest in things like the Model United Nations. Um, in my first job at Brayside, I, I did quite a bit of that. I worked, um, I used to assist my colleague who was careers advisor at Brayside in doing things like work experience. I'd been um, touching one or two things here and there. But I think one of the big breakthroughs that came in my life with regard to international, just global exposure, was when one day when I was sitting at the dining hall at Brayside, my boss comes up to me, my headmaster at the time. He came up to me and said, there's an organization from the United States who are looking for somebody to lead a program, and I think you would fit. So I'm going to put you in touch with them, and there you go. And so for the next six years, I was attached to this organization called Youth Leaders International. And we take a number of students through a three-year cycle. So the first year would always be Washington, D.C. The second year would be someplace in Europe. And the third year would be um, in Cambridge in the United Kingdom. For me as the teacher, all expenses paid. And that was just a wonderful you know, exposure to different places that I never thought I would go. So I visited um, Paris and I visited Prague which makes Sally very, 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 very jealous because she, she would like to go to Prague one day, but she hasn't yet. And so that was a bit of a taste of, of internationalism for me. And as Sally says, when, when she came into this role as careers advisor, she then, um, she was leading, but I was actually learning a lot from what at that time my, my portfolio within the school was very different. I was handling things like transporting their students down to Nairobi during half term, all sorts of things, all manner of things within the school. But I was also a tutor for our junior class, the, the year 12s, who um, I then took on to, to, to become um, their tutor during their senior year. And that also was just a learning experience for me. So Sally and I are relatively new when it comes to international education. We've been doing this. I, I have been involved in, in it in one way or another, I think, since 2010, I would say. So I am very new in this field compared to, uh, you know, someone like Girish. So it sounds like you two set up the careers and university advising department at St. Andrews, the, the two of you together. And since you've set it up, how has that been received by students? Um, do you have university representatives from all over the world coming to visit you? And I know you do the virtual events as well. And how are students, do they enjoy having those representatives? How do they find the, the fact that people from all over the world are coming to their school and telling them about opportunities? And are they excited about those opportunities? Oh, I'm glad you asked that, Jessica, because actually it's one of those, like Jonathan is saying, we have very many firsts, firsts to have created this department in the school. One of our first things was a turn and gown uh, tour. We, you know, sort of put together um, a tour to the UK for our students who are making applications, our first cohort in 2012. And Again, I had never been to the UK before. I, I had heard of these universities. I was excited about these universities. And I had already, you know, charged my, my students up about before we make those applications through UCAS, we need to go see. And, you know, students in the UK get um, an opportunity to visit, you know, using open day sessions. So 
I felt that before they put pen to paper in the applications, they needed to feel the location, at least at the very least. And so that was our first. We took them out to, um, to the UK. We created links over the years. And our first ever fair where we hosted uh, representatives from UK universities and uh, a few US was just surreal. We, they had never been to St. Andrew's School. They had never heard of St. Andrew's School, Turi. And here we were right in the middle of nowhere in the Rift Valley and we are asking them to come in and, you know, they were asking, okay, after we get to the airport, how do you get in? I'm like, you're going to have a beautiful four-hour safari <laughs> to get to our school. They did it because they had heard about us through friends, mutual friends. And when they did come, oh, beautiful, they never stopped coming until COVID came in. But it was just lovely to see their interactions with our students, the parent um Sort of the parents are quite happy to have that sort of interaction being provided by the school because, like I said, being so far away and not having the opportunity to visit universities as other students would, this was actually such an opportunity for students to have actual face-to-face -face interactions, you know, with the representatives before they make that decision. Yeah, what an I incredible think... feeling that must be for both of you to, to kind of like, you know, basically give birth to this thing that the, and the whole idea of this podcast is to talk about destiny bending and how we're changing lives. And I can't even imagine being in your shoes, seeing these students come in and grow up and then spreading their wings and flying. Talk about that. Yeah. So actually, with everything, there's, there's a whole process that has gone into it. And I think if I look back, to 2012, 2013, those were some very frustrating years for us because we knew what we wanted to achieve, but everything took time. It took a lot of time to convince people to come up to Turi. We, when we started, we would have to get students um, up at five in the morning, put them on a bus, travel down to Nairobi. By the time they got to Nairobi, they were so tired and hungry, they would then need to attend a fair uh, for two or three hours and then put them back on the bus and another four hours back. And it was it was exhausting for the students. They wouldn't get as much as we were. And it was very frustrating for us. So Sally and I just thought one time when we went down to Nairobi for one of these fairs, what if we tried to convince these people to come and visit us? And so we just started talking to them individually and say, you know, we're four hours away from Nairobi, but would you like to visit? And we did that quite persistently for about two years until finally one time they just said, okay, we're going to try this out. We're going to come to you. So tell us how to do it. And we worked out the logistics. And as Sally says, this was just a, a beautiful experience having all these university representatives. They were about our first um, event we had was about, um, they must have been about 40 different UK universities. Yeah, there were 40. Yeah, that was huge for us. That, 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 was, that, that was big. It was a breakthrough. But as I said, it took about three or four years before we got to that point. And, and it was quite a lot of hard work. In addition to just seeing that sort of evolution, also seeing the growth of the students that we first started with, now, some of the students that we had uh, at the beginning in St. Andrews are working in different parts of the world, in, in, uh, in the United States, in Canada, in 
United Kingdom, Australia. Some are back home in Kenya and actually, you know, doing big things in business, in law, in banks. And it's 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 such a fulfilling experience. It's um, one of the things that gives you joy as a teacher is just seeing the impact that you could have, even in a small way, on, on, on a student who sometimes didn't even know that they were worth anything. And then you see this student having graduated and moving on. It's, um, it's just a wonderful experience. And that fulfillment is, is something we cannot capture in words and you cannot really capture it even with, um, you know, equated with financial reward. It's just, it's a beautiful experience, I would say. And, and that's, it's part of what keeps us in teaching. It's part of why Sally and I have been teaching for over 20 years now, is that, that feeling of fulfillment. Yeah, I, you know, what you create is is what you nurture, what you create, you nurture it. And we created this and we have had the opportunity to see it nurtured, to see it grow. Just the idea that we are a launching pad for our students into the world, the idea that we are their flag bearers, you know, out there with, with, with the representatives and saying, come to St. Andrews, come and see our students. They are good applicants. They will make good applicants for the courses that you're offering them. Why? Because they have everything that you're looking for. Come and see them. And sometimes I feel that that's, that's all a student needs, someone to advocate for them, someone to say, look at me. I can do this. I can make it into a UK university. I can make it into a US university. And I feel that that's, that's what we are called to do as careers advisors or universities, you know, advisors, is to help the student reach their goal by being sort of this, this wind in, in the sail, you know. They know what they want, but how to get there. And you will help them get there. At what point, Sally, I I know there's so many challenges, right? When you just described the challenge of being so remote and not being able to get the attention of universities around the world for a while, but you, you successfully accomplished it. I imagine there are thousands of schools around the world who are remote like that. And I understand the logistical challenges for university representatives to travel, right? I mean, it's not easy to get to every nook and cranny of the world. How could we bridge that gap a little bit more? I know the virtual world, and I want you to talk about how that has changed. How can we, or what can we do more on both sides of the equation to bridge that gap? Because there are students like yours who are all over the world who need just that one opportunity to meet that one university rep that forever changes their lives. You know, you're right. This this pandemic has come with it, you know, some blessings, some blessings that we did not realize that that's exactly what was the next frontier. The next frontier is technology. And, um, you know, it has it's it's both good and bad. You know, for us, um, I can say our students are quite privileged. They they do have the uh, ability to to tap into technology and use it. And yes, that has really, really helped. And for me, actually, what I've seen is the interaction, not just with university reps and students, but their parents. You know, that is a one angle that we had been missing when we were doing face-to-face, ironically, because the parents would be like, you know, it's, it's your school, it's your future, it's your career, go figure it out with the representatives and go ask Mrs. Andwati if you don't know. But the fact that it's now online and we're able to have parents 
key in, they're able to sit there with their students, with their children, with their students, and interact with the university reps. And that's the one thing that they say they have really loved about, you know, this past 22 months or, you know, so many months that we've been in the pandemic, because it's allowed them to have a stake in their children's, you know, sort of choice making and and as a school we are now able to have a better interaction where it's not just the school and the student the parent is also involved so I think technology has really done a good thing here the um, flip side of it is and like I started by saying we are a privileged school this is a privileged community and it is you know just a one percent or something but out there we have kids who probably will never get to see, like I said, they'll never have that launching pad because they cannot access, use, they have no technology. The reps will never get to them. And it still makes me sad to think, like Jonathan said, when we went to school, we did not have this sort of career you know, advice. I went to school and I never met a university rep. I, I would say I, I was also privileged. I come from a middle class, uh, you know, sort of family. I went to, um, you know, a reputable good school, secondary school in Nairobi, in Kenya. But I never, ever had an opportunity to sit with a university rep to discuss my future. So this was an arbitrary sort of thing. What do you want to do? Mm, let's see. I want to be a surgeon. Okay. <laughs> you know, something like that. Oh, I want to be a teacher. Oh, no. But that discussion with the rep was never really there. And I think years later, uh, sort of Kenya has grown with that. We, the, 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 the industry, the you know, careers or university industry has really grown, but we still haven't tapped into touching the lives of those kids that are out there. So to me, it's still something I really feel sad about and still wondering how do we get to that kid that could really be our next Einstein from Kenya yeah, and just just also um, picking up from what Sally has said, over the years, as we've had more and more success in bringing university representatives over to, to Turi, Sally and I have had this burden about increasing access um, for, for local students, people who are around us but may never get the opportunity to, to meet these universities. And so before the pandemic, before the virtual world came in and helped us bridge this gap. One of the things we had really been keen on doing and we always try to do is collaboration with, with other institutions. So we have another international school one hour away from us. And so we collaborated with them so that if someone is traveling all the way out from Nairobi, they're not just coming to one school. Within that one visit, at least they're visiting two schools so they feel it's worth their while. And that, that was huge. It, it enabled us to host quite a number of different people. Another sort of landmark for us, which made us feel this is actually possible and we wish we could do it even more, was I think it was 2018 when the Council of International Schools, CIS, um, used to do this big Africa tour. Mm-hmm. where they would visit more than 10 countries. And so we got talking with CIS because we had attended the events in Nairobi and we told them, why don't you try to come out to Turi? And they looked at all of the logistics and rather than ask the question, why should we go to Turi? For them, it seemed to be like, why not? Yeah. And that, that that was such a huge game changer because they moved everything they could. They 
managed to charter some small planes from Nairobi so that they could cut down the travel time. And they actually flew in 21 representatives from universities all around the world. And they came into this little village, remote place in Kenya. And the beauty of it is we'd managed to invite a number of schools from around us, including a local secondary school where um, students who would never have met a university representative from the UK or the USA was able to come in. And that sort of thing just showed us the power of collaboration. It was such a beautiful experience hosting the CIS Africa tour. And so to my mind, I think when we return to normal, quote unquote, I think one of the things that we should harness even more is the power of collaboration, bringing together, you know, different institutions, different schools. We know that the universities cannot visit so many different places, but if we can find uh, certain centers away from the major city and say, let's get 20 universities into this smaller town and bring in as many schools and get students interested in finding out more about these universities and getting to know about scholarships, uh, getting to know about how they could better their lives, improve their skills. I think that will be huge. And, and so for me, harnessing that power of collaboration is, is, is one of the keys moving forward to, to make a difference to, to more students. So I'm curious, Jonathan and Sally, you are teachers and advisors to students. And when you're sitting down with your students and talking to them about applying to university or what career they might want to have in their future, what do you say to them are the benefits of an international education? So if you're encouraging them to look beyond Kenyan universities and apply to a university anywhere else in the world, what are you telling them that, that an international education can provide that maybe staying local doesn't, for example? I, I tell them to begin with one of the one of the uh, educational um, sort of ethos at St Andrews is internationalism and them embracing the fact that they are no longer just Kenyans they are international and they are going to be uh, looking at or facing international issues things that you know issues that not just affect us as a country and they affect everybody else so I've asked them not to be insular not to be just concentrating on what is in our country but look at what um, our continent is facing you know, vis-a-vis -vis other continents and how we can tap in into what's going on around the world to not just grow our continent, but our specific communities. And if they become, you know, too insulated in here in our countries, they'll miss out on what is happening out there. So for me, it's more to do with go out there. What can you glean? What can you learn? What can you bring back to uh, ensure that you are supporting our economy, our societies, and what can you bring back to empower another Kenyan, another African, because our school is quite regional, so to speak. There are many students from around Africa and some from outside of Africa, but what can you go there and, and after your inter educational interactions, social interactions, what can you bring back to sort of grow your own country? And there's so many areas in our country we know in Africa that 
We have such potential. We just need the brain power. We just need the passion. We just need the students to come back with, with the knowledge and the, you know, the know-how of how to move our societies forward. So that's what I'll be telling them when they sit here. And they're super excited all the time when I have a cohort, uh, year 12s, year 13s, and they're thinking, if I go to Australia and I apply to this university and I study this, what can I bring back home? Or how can I be an international person? What, what am I taking to that other country? What, what am I telling them about my culture? What am I educating them about who I am as a Kenyan, as a Nigerian, as a Ghanaian? What am I educating them about me as, as, you know, as an African? Yeah. That is so powerful, right? I mean, that ambassadorship that students carry is also such an integral part of this global education ecosystem that we're in. Yeah, and I I would definitely agree with that. I think there's there's a big there's a big power in examples. There's um, students seeing examples of people who have gone before them from Turi and going on into major international destinations and 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 making a career for themselves. And you know we've had students in the last few years going out and becoming doctors. You know we had. A student who even went and 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 not only won a major design competition in the UK, but became a lecturer in design. And so it's that harnessing the power of that, those examples and and showing the students that actually there is big benefit in, 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 in taking advantage of the international education opportunities and using it for the benefit of, of, of the local community, as Sally, as Sally explained. We, we find ourselves as well as counselors challenged to also live out what it is that we're saying. So we we first became involved in international ACAC in, I think, 2016. And it was out of that also yearning to learn more about the world around us, to learn more about international education. And every time we would go, we'd come back with something new. Every time we would go, we'd uh, make a new contact and, and get somebody to come and visit us. And and so the students would see the power of those international connections in them getting, you know, placements and sometimes scholarships, but just ideas, you know, the ability to meet new people is, is so powerful. Again, one of the best experiences I've ever had was uh, a few colleagues who came over from Canada and they came to talk to students about university applications and so on. And after they finished talking about university applications, we sat in the in the students' common room for about an hour and a half. And we were talking about anything and everything, the experiences with literature and politics and relationships and all of that. And, you know, we had students with us and we were just talking about stuff. And it, it, that sort of connecting with, with people who have a different experience is something so powerful that... We, we, we really enjoyed that. And so once we got a taste of that and we, we knew what power it would have, even on a small scale for ourselves, traveling and seeing things, we, we just became even more determined to make sure that our students would get these opportunities to go out and also experience similar things and learn things that they can bring back home to improve Kenya or Africa. Yeah, you know, you, your experience could teach other counselors or other schools around the world, so many things, what advice would you offer them? You know, you've set this up from scratch. You've built it now. It seems like a highly functioning unit. You're inviting universities from around the world. Students are getting that exposure. 
What advice would you give to other counselors or even teachers at schools who are trying to create something like this? Do not be afraid to reach out. Do not be afraid to connect. Do not be afraid to put yourself out there because that's what, like Jonathan is saying, it's setting yourself by example. Your students will get to see um, you doing that. Um, They'll get to see you going out and trying to get these connections, these representatives do not be afraid to do it. We struggled the first three years and it, it might not happen the first year, it might not happen the second year, but do not be afraid to ask. Yeah, and I think I'll add on to that and say just never stop learning. Never never be afraid to ask what seem like the silly questions. Um, never shy away from asking, asking about things. I think we're lucky that we managed to get um, support along the way from our school administration who have been just so good to us. And uh, sometimes it's in form of time, just allowing us time to go and visit places during the term time. Uh, sometimes it has been... Um, the finances to do a few things. But there's actually a lot of things that we've done without any finances. It's just building relationships with people and getting the goodwill of those people to, for example, you know, a university that is well-known for sports decided to sponsor one of our big sporting events. And from within the school where where we have other students uh, from other international schools in Kenya, And from that, other universities saw an opportunity and said, we'd like to do the same thing. And so we have uh, an intersection there between the sporting activities which the students enjoy and the university coming in with their T-shirts or whatever they're doing to sponsor the tournament. But then getting across the message that an international education is available. And so even as they're getting that trophy for winning a rugby tournament, they're also thinking, oh, this is an interesting university. I might want to look at this. And so looking out for the opportunities um, that are there, I think has been something that we have never stopped learning. Even when it came into the virtual world, we just never stopped learning and asking questions and sending people, you know, messages, trying to reach out to people, trying to to, to know new people. And I think that's, for us, the big thing is just to get started, to, to plunge, go, go, go in head first and, and try some things. Okay. So what I'm curious about is, as a couple, you have your professional relationship at the school and you have your personal life. How does one influence the other and the nuances of it? I see Sally smiling. So I'm really curious to like understand that dynamic of it. What happens if you guys had a fight? There's a yellow curtain. Okay, let me explain the yellow curtain. <laughs> <laughs> so our offices are actually quite directly opposite each other. There's a nice big window here. I can see him. He, he hides himself behind his screen, pretending he can't see me, but I can see him. Um, <laughs> if we've had a fight, the kids would know because Mrs. Andrachi's curtain will come down. <laughs> he doesn't have a curtain, but it will come down. And so there will be the curtain out here and they'll be like, oh, sir, it's a doghouse for you. <laughs> but hey, what, no. What's your perspective, Jonathan? <laughs> He's Jonathan's just shaking like, his head. He's got nothing He's to like... respond to that. <laughs> he knows better I, than to say anything. <laughs> I, I'm shaking my head because I know it's true. Um, but I think... <laughs> One of the one of the beautiful things about working together is knowing each other so well. 
and knowing how to complement each other. There are certain things at which I um, I can get very anxious about things. And in those situations, Sally is the strong one and she knows how to sort of bring everything into line and, and organize things. There are certain sort of tasks where when it comes to the detail and the logistics of putting things together, then Sally will happily pass that on to me. I think we, we, we talk about things a lot. One of the jokes in our household is, we talk about other people's children more than our own. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're talking about applications sometimes and our nine-year-old son goes like, not universities again. You know, there are certain people we talk to so much, like our friend um, Mustafa from Huron is we're on Zoom calls all the time. And so now Emmanuel calls him Uncle Mustafa, you know, because it's just be- he's become like one of our family friends. So just over time, we've, we've learned to refine rules with, not being afraid to let the other person lead on certain things, but then having a close eye on, is there a lot of of, of stuff to be done? How can I help? How can I come in this way? And so I think we take it in turns, um, so to speak. And yeah, it's it's worked, I think, apart from the time the yellow curtain comes down. (laughs) Oh, I'll get rid of it. I'll put a white one. (laughs) Still a curtain. The curtain is a curtain. (laughs) The curtain must fall. <laughs> this has been wonderful. I don't know, Jess, if you have any more you want to ask. No, I'm good. I think we can go to our quick fire questions round. Are we ready? Ooh. Yeah. So I, we do. I, I don't we think do. we have answers here. Sally, these are all yours. <laughs> no, we're no, waiting. No, 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 no. It's got to be both. It's got to be both. So That's fine. We, we, well, we, we want to end on a lighter note. I mean, we obviously <laughs> learned so much about work and everything, but we also want to get to know some quick things about you. So we have this quick fire round. Um, so I'll kick it off our quick fire round. So Jonathan, like you, I'm a huge college basketball fan. I went to the University of Kansas. I'm a big Jayhawk fan. So I'm really curious. What is your favorite college basketball team in the U.S.? Sorry, I, I'll have to disappoint you there. I love the Jayhawks, but I would have to go with the Duke Blue Devils. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. <laughs> Quick fire question for you. I heard that you Prague is a place you've always wanted to go to. You've always, but aside from Prague, let's put that one aside. Where's one place you've always wanted to visit? Hawaii. I want Jonathan to take me to Hawaii. And I want this before we retire, before we are too old to dance and everything. So Hawaii, yes. <laughs> nice. What is your favorite cuisine? Oh, mine has to be a, a local sort of soul food. It's it's a m- nice mash of uh, green maize, pumpkin leaves, and potatoes. You mash that up, and then you have some nice meat stew. And oh my goodness, it's just a taste of home. Jonathan, give me chicken anytime. Chicken. Any kind of chicken? Chicken in any, any whether it's breaded chicken, any state, anyway. <laughs> any any which way, just give me chicken, yeah. and yeah, you you have a way to my heart. I actually keep chicken in our backyard just, you know, to make sure that I'm supplying. Just in case. Yes. <laughs> Sally, I have a suggestion for you. The next time you change the curtain, get a picture of a chicken on there. <laughs> it's a running joke. He's, Jonathan comes from a certain community in Kenya, and there are all these preconceptions about, you know, and, you know, about different communities. We have about 42 communities in Kenya. And his, his community is, is um, they say that they, their favorite food is chicken. So I, I married a man from the West. I'm from the East. 
Uh, we speak two different languages, so we, we don't even use our mother tongues at home. It's English. So for him, it's chicken. So my mom kept telling me, oh, my dear, you're going to have to be killing so many. <laughs> anyway. Things we do for love. Sally, Jonathan, this has just been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time to visit with us today. Uh, we can't wait to share your story. Thank you so much for having us. We've had so much fun. Yeah, th- thank you. I think b- before we started this, we were apprehensive about whether we had any story to tell. Thanks for listening. In the next episode, we speak with Bridget Herrera, the college counselor at American International School Dhaka in Bangladesh. Thank you.